Welcome to the Small Business Big Solutions Podcast, a Cisco podcast where we explore the tech solutions powering small and medium businesses. I'm Ian Thompson, and each episode, we'll dig into a specific tech solution, dispelling common misconceptions and answering the questions that our sales teams get asked most about it. Enjoy. Welcome to another edition of the Small Business Big Solutions Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ian. Today, I'm joined by Ken Diamond, the Practice Development Manager at Insight, a leading solutions integrator and partner of ours at Cisco. Ken brings 25 years of IT experience, including time as a senior solutions architect and post-sales expertise in solution delivery. Ken, I got to say, after reading all of that, I am a little bit nervous today for this episode. I'm going to need you to talk to me like I am a five-year-old, I think. Thank you for having me. I, uh, it's a pleasure to uh, jump on the podcast with you. Perfect. So uh, today, I was hoping we could talk about the concept of cyber resilience. Awesome. In past episodes, I know you're a listener. We've talked a little bit about security fundamentals, foundations, table stakes for small and medium businesses. I thought you would be a great person to bring on and kind of evolve the conversations to kind of that next step of resiliency. So let tell me about the role that this concept of cyber resilience plays in the overall security landscape and how how do it, how does a small and medium or medium business go about building it? it it's actually top of mind uh, now uh, because of the well-known uh, breaches or incidents uh, that we've had uh, in the past few months. Um, it's the, the basis is that we can't stop the attack, right? The only way that we're going to be stopping attacks is if it's no longer financially, mot- have that financial motivation to actually do the ransomware or the extortionware. Um, so there's no preventing the attack. All you could do is prepare for the attack and make sure that you could survive it. It's survivability. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work with DOD uh, and in the commercial world, um, but in my time with the DOD, they uh, had this concept called the minimum viable operations, which means that what is the minimum aspects of your business or your organization that you can function at 100% or at least function to do the day-to-day business. With that, you could actually build your survivability risk assessment uh, so that you could build towards it. When it comes to a small business or medium-sized business, I think it's even more crucial uh, to look at that because if there is an incident where it can affect your business, it can have a severe impact, knock you out for from just a day, an hour, or a couple weeks, depending on what type of financial crime it may be or what type of impact it is. So cyber resiliency is definitely top of mind for a lot of organizations. Definitely. So what, if I was an SMB, what questions should I be asking myself about you know, when I evaluate a solution for cyber resiliency? So it's a, it's a know thyself scenario. Uh, you have to look- I don't in, know myself. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and it is, and I, and I talk to organizations all the time. It is truly understanding what your business is, how it functions, and what it takes to function. Um, everything that we use for computers, the software, the applications and services, whether it's cloud or on-prem, it's all just things to help us do what we do within our business. Um, these are just tools. So identifying what your tools are, how you access it, what's important, 
And again, through this process, you tend to add a little bit more things that make things easier. Um, for instance, email. I have organizations that says email is number one. Email can never go down. I go, how many times do you check your email? Eh, once or twice an hour. So it's not that important, is it? So it could be down for an hour and it's not going to impact your business. You know, what, what's actually going to impact it? And going through those scenarios, um, it does take uh, a process to kind of walk through to understand what you do, how you do it, what tools you use to do that. And as you start building that foundation, you can walk through and see what are some of the risks. And the question is, okay, for instance, uh, authentication uh, identity services. And if you use anybody's identity services, whether it's Azure or, uh, or Microsoft on your on-prem uh, networks, what happens if you can't authenticate? What's your fallback plan? Well, that's part of cyber resiliency. Being able to identify, an, an, if there's an incident, what the impact of that is, and being able to still fulfill the basic functions of your organization. I like that. You mentioned something in there that I want to go back to. The cloud. So, uh, what uh, I would say it's one of the most, if not the most adopted solution, especially with amongst small and medium businesses today. Is there a difference in the solution and what it looks like if you are cloud adopted or kind of, I would say, traditional or, or I guess on-prem? It depends, right? So we actually have solutions and uh, Cisco actually has a lot of those solutions that allow us to actually have the same type of posture or same stance no matter where you exist, whether it's in the cloud or on-prem. Uh, a lot of these are actually cloud uh, services. Uh, Duo is one that we actually recommend for a lot of our customers to help manage that. Um, and mitigate some of the issues that they have with uh, identity and access management. Um, but it, it does take a little bit different form if you are born in the cloud or all cloud, or if you have a mixed environment where you're leveraging cloud and on-prem. So it all depends on what your makeup is and how it was structured. Were you a pre-cloud organization that was moving to it, or did you, you know, were you birthed in the cloud? Um, a, couple different approaches. It depends on how you actually set things up. So it's a process. Again, it's, it's one of those things where uh, understanding how your systems developed and how it was architected is fundamental in coming up with that game plan on how to prepare yourself uh, for these incidents. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. Holistically speaking, are organizations that have adopted cloud better protected from a breach? And I, maybe that's an unfair question to ask, but I'm curious. Better protected. Only if you yeah. put the protections in place. Um, we've actually had customers that went to the cloud and were successful at it. But with the ease of the cloud and management, and if you don't fully understand its capabilities and its security requirements, you could inadvertently expose all of your data sets to the internet to where there's absolutely no security in between your data and everyone else on the internet. So again, it's a, it's, a, it's a complex question because of the fact you have to base it on, well, how are they set up? Did they actually put the appropriate security implements in place to secure that environment? So is it more? Sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's harder. It depends on how it's set up. Yeah, so if security is kind of uh, like, I would say put before everything or integrated in the installation and solution process 
as opposed to bracketed on at the end. That's actually probably a yes. That's actually one of the messaging that we're coming out with uh, is the fact that it is security above all else. Uh, No matter what you do, it has to be secured. If it's not secured, then eventually it's going to end up either being taken over, uh, being used for ransomware or extortionware. Um, And we're seeing more and more things like, well, if they have access to your system and you're not able to identify it uh, early on, well, they can exfiltrate your data and find out what you do or whatever your secrets are, your intellectual property, uh, and use that against you and say, hey, you either pay us or I'm going to release this to the world or we're going to tell your clients that you've been breached and you haven't told them or any of those things and use that against these customers. So everything has to have a security mindset no matter what you do. And things that are coming out with the new applications and services, whether they're cloud-based or if they're you know, AI-based, all of them have to have that consideration built into it. Security is the fundamental aspect that you must implement across your business. That, that is the quote of the episode right there. It's so interesting to me. And it's, I've been in the industry for just over 10 years, I guess now. And I, like the way I was taught was, you know, the network is the core, right? The, the platform, power of the platform. And we add on, you know, the, at that point, telephony, we add on collaboration, we add on, you know, everything else. And security was part of that everything else. And now it's not. Now it is the foundation of it, to your point, where if it's not embedded in that core, the core doesn't work. Like, I mean, it, it works, but it's not worth working. That is correct. And it's so interesting. Yeah. We've thought about it. I feel like it's been like a, almost, this is a terrible analogy, but it's been car insurance, but we need to think about it like health insurance. Like it's a fundamental thing that we have to have. You're absolutely so, correct. It is, it, it, it is a requirement above all else. And, and on the back end, you know, when I, when I engage customers about uh, cyber resiliency, uh, we actually do cover disaster recovery and business continuity. And I tend to lead with the worst case scenario, which means that something happens and everything's gone. How do you rebuild? How fast can you rebuild? What are the requirements for you to rebuild? Um, and uh, case in point, I, I, we have several customers that have been impacted uh, that we've come in and actually helped after the fact. And we notice that uh, organizations who have a plan are, A, either able to identify and uh, detect a attempted incident or attempted breach and stop it in its tracks before it actually becomes an incident, or they're able to withstand that incident with minimal impact to the business. So there is a silver lining with all of this. If you do prepare and you implement a good security structure like zero trust and leverage you know, a smart technology like XDR uh, and those things that allow you to identify and able to respond quickly uh, to these incidents is crucial. Now, unfortunately, not everyone has that or has implemented those things. So I walk in and I say, okay, what happens if this is a ransomware incident or if they turned your data center into a crypto mining operation? Either one, it's a financial crime. And the, and the authorities need to come in. And while they're in and doing their investigation, a cyber forensics investigator has to come in and take a snapshot of everything. During that time period, you don't have access to your systems. 
So if you want to operate, and it could be an hour, it could be three weeks. It all depends on the size of your systems and how, how much it has been impacted. So you have to have a game plan. Well, if you want to restore these services and get back to business immediately, you'd better have a supply chain uh, option, right? You either spin up another instance in the cloud uh, or have the ability to go out and get you some additional hardware to at least spin up that, uh, those systems that allow that NVO, that minimum viable operations capabilities. Um, it is an exercise that you can go through, and as you work those out, you realize, now I understand, in case of this situation, I now have a game plan to restore my services. So it, there, there is a uh, silver lining, right? There's, there's light at the end of that tunnel, and it is successful. We're actually seeing more and more organizations not paying ransomware because it was either they you know, encrypted data that is insignificant, they didn't care about it, and were able to just delete it, or they were able to restore with known good backups, or they were able to stop it before it ever got encrypted. So all those three scenarios are perfect scenarios because it could always go bad. And we hear the bad stories all the time and no one wants to be in the newspaper like that. No, what's interesting and that you kind of started here with this is it's such a hard concept to not scare people with. And especially in the small and medium business space, because you're talking about people's livelihoods. Is that something, and it's not necessarily an objection, right? But it's, is that something that you run into and have to combat as you're coming in and saying, hey, listen, worst case scenario, if this happens, like this is over for you. So how do you kind of balance that scare, like scariness of the, the you know, realistic outcome here with we're here to help and we're not trying to scare you, but this is what's in your best interest. Yeah, it, we, we tend to be that um, trusted advisor. We come in and say, we've been here before. We've done this before. We've been through this with our customers several times. We know how to get you through this process. And it doesn't matter if it is the pre-work and you're calling us before any incident occurs and we're kind of walking you through on how to set things up. Uh, what you know, services, what software, what you know, security architectures that you want to implement, we can do that before. Or if we get that call saying, hey, I'm currently being attacked, we could even come in at that point or after the fact going, everything's encrypted and we need help. All of those scenarios, we tend to come in and we understand the situation. We've been through this before. And we just take that approach. Say, it's okay. We're that... We're, we're that second pair of eyes. We don't have that emotional attachment to the situation. So we could calm yeah. things down and identify what the root cause is, target it, and take the next steps and take the next appropriate steps to clean it up. Shifting gears a bit, because it's something I'm curious about. We obviously work with, uh, and I'm fully remote, right? But we work with customers who are remote or hybrid. And there's this concept that I think is becoming ever increasingly popular is BYOD, bring your own device. How does that play into the threat vector and even cyber resilience? Is that something you guys have to kind of double off on and say, hey, we're, we're not only taking care of the home base, but also who's coming in and out? It is, right? So it's actually a nightmare for security, the security <laughs> team. Uh, BYOD uh, is sometimes a requirement. However, there are things that you can do uh, to mitigate that. 
and that is uh, any type of you know managed device capability so that um, as they come in and access your network uh, they have to have a minimum uh, posture right certain uh, operating system patched to a certain level certain antivirus has to meet all these criteria before that a device can actually attach to your system. Now, I am a risk-averse person. I've been in cybersecurity for many I'll years. That. So That's the nature of being in the business, right? It is. I, I take the zero trust literally. <laughs> I don't trust anything. I'm, I question everything, test it, and then once I kind of get that validation, that's when the trust, I kind of I give it to you. And I think everyone needs to take the same things. Um, you don't have to have these BYODs attached to your systems. You can create a, B, a BDI instance to separate all your internal networks from any outside device. Or you have an instance for that BYOD device uh, so that it's only operating uh, with internal applications and they can't access anything external. There's several different ways to attach that BYOD question. It all depends on what are the requirements. Um, security should not be the no or the roadblock in you know, uh, enabling the business to function properly. However, we have to be that solution. We have to be part of that process because if the solution does not include that security, it's gonna end up hurting the business in the long run. Um, but like I said, there's, there's a couple different ways you could uh, address the BYOD uh, question. It is a big topic, and it's something <laughs> that uh, there, there's several different solutions that we could come up with. Okay, that's good to hear. Because that's, I mean, like you said, it is almost a requirement in a lot of these businesses. It helps manage OpEx on their side. So totally get it. All right, last question. Uh, where else would we go but the future? So... In your opinion, I'm not holding you to this, but what's next with cybersecurity? When you think of the concept of cybersecurity, looking forward the next, you know, one, two, five, ten years, where does this go? Because it, it, it has been and it still is where, you know, the, the bad guys are ahead and the good guys are playing catch up and we're trying to plug the holes on the boat. Do we win eventually? Like, is there, you know, is there a poison pill? Like, where does this go? Uh, well, uh, I will make this statement. Innovation comes from the attacker. We just respond to sure. it. Uh, it's a hard position to be in because, again, we don't know what's about to happen. We don't know what that zero-day attack is or that vulnerability is. Once it is comes out and we identify it, then we could react to it. I will say the, the future of cybersecurity is... Uh, tighter integration with artificial intelligence and machine learning. I think that is crucial because that can do things that humans cannot, which is right. look and take all this complex data, all the data points, and be able to come up with those patterns. And you truly can get uh, analytics from you know end user behavior, device behavior, application behavior, so that you could truly build those models so that if there's anything out of the ordinary, it's immediately identified. That's the next step. And, and case in point, we're not seeing a lot of attacks that are uh, actually using viruses and, and malware. We're actually seeing attacks that are pointed phishing attempts, and they're using everything that's uh, 
within that host. And it depends on whether it's a Linux host or, or a Microsoft host, where, whether it's a PowerShell or et cetera. They're just leveraging what's internal to those systems to do an external call to pull down a little file so it never hits the antivirus. But once it's executed, it does a command and control call back to me, and then I'm able to access those systems. So it has nothing to do with you know, malicious code. This is all just actual things that work on your system. And once I make wow. that connection, I could then look at you know, passwords on that local systems and identify who's logged into it. Uh, and if I could get an administrator password, oh, that's even better. I could then go anywhere on that network and access anything I want. And then at any point, I gather all the information. I could then execute you know, any type of executables that I want, whether I actually want to encrypt things, do I want to delete things. There's anything that I could do. And none of that is actually done with malicious code. So it's never identified within an antivirus software. That's crazy. Now, the thing is, is that do you not buy antivirus? Of course not, because antivirus or uh, viruses are everywhere. So you have yeah, to have you just that. become the lowest hanging fruit of all time if you don't. <laughs> yes. So you could never get rid of it, but we're just seeing that attack vector change. And again, will it all will it ever go away? No. But now we have to take into account what's happening on that host. How will I know that someone's actually attached to that system and is now doing those things? Opening up, you know, downloading Mimi Cats and and checking whatever authentication uh, you know, uh, user uh, information that's on that system. Um, well, if we have the appropriate uh, uh, in-device um, security system, like AMP for endpoints, then we actually have that capability. The problem is, is that if you have 10,000 endpoints that you have to manage, a human can't look at that and say, oh, there's something different there. This is where the ML AI capabilities really come into play. Once you get that snapshot, you could then build that baseline any anomalous activity is easily identified. That's where you're going to see the huge benefit of that. And then on the reverse side, when you see a new signature, a new string that uh, you know hackers are using to access or bypass or uh, leverage a zero-day attack, those get implemented immediately and spread out everywhere. So now you actually have a more automated, like you know, uh, patch capabilities and upgrade capabilities across the board. So I truly yeah. believe AI is going to be a game changer within the security uh, environment. I like that. Makes a ton of sense. There's so many parallels, honestly, as you sat there and talked between like healthcare and medicine and security. And the, I mean, the language, the strains, the viruses, obviously mirrors a lot of it, but just the way that, like you said, the bad guys are always a step ahead and we don't know what's coming. It's the same way, right? When you think about, you know, what the, the next outbreak and everything else. So. There's a lot to be learned, a lot to take away, and I, I couldn't agree more with AI integration being the future. So Ken, thank you. I feel smarter. Uh, I appreciate the time. We need to do this again. Absolutely. Until next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.